to me, the Hall of Fame should be the best players, you know, the best select group of players that ever played the game. And I just don't think you can make a rational argument that Eli Manning belongs in that conversation. I think that um, the first thing you really have to look at is how he played in, in big games. On this episode of Against the Grain, the Eli Hall of Fame debate rages on. I hope you're not sick of it already because we're jumping right in. We are cutting against the grain. Against the grain. Against the grain. Against the grain. Now your host for Against the Grain. Here's Andrew Perloff. Welcome to the Against the Grain podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Perloff. I'm here with producer extraordinaire Mario Miranda, or producer. I don't uh, know. I, I like extraordinaire. Can we just stick with yeah. that? Yeah. We're going to talk a bunch of football here. This is a big week in the New York area because Eli Manning retired. I hope everyone's not sick of the Eli Hall of Fame debate because <laughs> we're going to dive in there. You know, it, he retired uh, in the afternoon on mm-hmm. Wednesday, and I wanted to get a Hall of Famer debate. I, I want to get up that he is a Hall of Famer before anyone else did. Yeah. And I was hoping that people would then retweet me as like a baseline. Like, oh, here's some <laughs> some guy who thinks Eli is a Hall of Famer. Because I knew it's one topic over the last 20 years that is a guaranteed debate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even before he retired, it was a question. Yeah, you could walk on into any sports bar in America and say, what do you think? Is Eli Manning a Hall of Famer? It used to be, how good is Tony Romo was my walk into any bar <laughs> in uh, America but, you know, there's certain teams and certain players. He's got the Manning last name. So we're going to talk to former New York Daily News reporter Gary Myers, of course, author of many football books who covered Eli for years. And we're going to talk to uh, my buddy Sam Monton from Pro Football Focus, who has been less than kind in his evaluation of Eli. I yeah. saw you had a back and forth with him on Twitter yesterday. Well, I know those PFF guys pretty well, and I think they're brilliant. Mm-hmm. I love their analysis. I love their podcasts. Yeah. They're very funny. They're You know, they do not have that bias from being around him in 2007, being there in 2011. I've been in a lot of Giants games, a lot of Giants locker rooms. And for me, it was, it's, I I tend to agree with PFF. Numbers Mm -hmm. tell the story, but there was something else going on where he provided stability for a franchise that could have like gone out of control a couple times. There were some big personalities in New York. You had Tiki there. Of course, he left before the Super Bowl. You had Strahan. You had Kurt Warner, a Hall of Famer, in there before him, and yeah. Eli, with his Eli-ness, sort of made it all work for a long time. And then, I mean, the biggest factor is in New York. Yeah. At any point, it can get out of hand. Oh, my gosh, of course. But the fact that he did that for 16 years has to be Especially, you know, this is sound weird, but 10 years ago, it was even harder to be in New York. Now, I think the Giants are just another team. Okay. But they, I, I don't know. Like, the Giants are not that hot a team right now. I'll bet you they don't do great. Na- I, I bet you they do good national ratings, but... They, there ever been buzz around them? No, I mean, yeah. especially after OBJ was the only thing that I think yeah. had national interest with them, and right. he, he's gone now. So what do you, I mean? I don't. The other thing was, is Eli going to struggle? That was the big national storyline. I yeah. uh, also want to set the table. Uh, I'm headed for Miami for Super Bowl week soon. Mario, are you coming? I forget. Let's not bring it up. Um, you know, because what's that dating app you're on? Hinge. I mean, can you imagine what Hinge is going to be like in Miami next week? I'm missing out big time. I am very. Very, a lot of FOMO. You know what FOMO means? Yes, I, I certainly do. I used to have that when I was your age. I have the opposite. I have fear of having to go to parties now. Uh, really? <laughs> yeah. I, I, you'll enjoy this. I'm gonna, I was just looking at the list of parties. Okay, this is what, well, tell me what you'd be most fired up for. Wednesday, uh, chain smokers. Yeah, I, I like, I can get behind yeah, chain smokers. They, they're actually at every Super Bowl. I don't know how. 
Uh, Thursday, there's a Ron Jaworski cigar party, which I've gone to many times. Lizzo, but it's at a big stadium. That's kind of cool. But yeah, I'm going to pass on that. DJ Khaled, who's at every... I mean, I think he's, he's actually... I feel like another, he's at every... Yeah. Yeah, he's coming on the podcast later. <laughs> uh, Friday's the big party, Shaq Funhouse, and everyone tells me I'm going to get in this year. I don't know how. I was like, oh, I got he you knows Shaq. He knows you, yeah. Yeah, it didn't happen last year. There's also a Fast and Furious trailer party. I don't know what that means. Yeah. I'm, the I'm Drew Rosenhouse party, because he's local down there. Saturday's the big parties. DirecTV, our company, Lady Gaga, can't go to that. Zach Brown Band, which I've seen at Super Bowls, which is awesome. Uh, Maroon 5 is playing American Airlines Arena. The Gronk Beach Party. I mean, come on. That that's the amazing. one that I, that's the one you have to be at, I'd say. Yeah, but I'm leaving Saturday morning. Why? I have a, a formal event on Saturday night in New York. I can't, I can't miss it. So would the Pearl have been to those? The Pearl had some, uh, had some issues at past Super Bowls. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, the Pearl got in trouble in a, on a boat with, Marcus Allen and I think Doug Flutie was there. It's a long story. It's not oh. like a what, not like the big Marcus Allen story. But uh, yeah, I used to party at Super Bowls, got in a little bit of, little bit of trouble. But that is not what this podcast is about. It's no. against the grain where we're talking about contrarian takes on football. So we had an interesting, interesting discussion on Dan Patrick show today. Dan mm. was talking about the line fluctuating point and a half, two. I've seen places where it's a one. Uh, I think that people are underestimating the Niners. I just say underestimating. I meant to say underestimating. So as DP pointed out, they have a great front four. I mean, amazing on defense. They have an Mm -hmm. insane running game. Mm -hmm. They have three weapons in the passing game. Emmanuel Sanders, Debo Samuel, and number one, George Kittle. And they're running back to catch the ball. Jimmy G hasn't been bad by any means. and It hasn't been great, though. He hasn't been great, but actually during certain points of the season, he's been great. And you got Richard Sherman back there. And Richard Sherman just has a knack for defying his critics. He's unbelievable at it. He's going to do something just so he can tweet Darrell Revis after the game. I mean, come on. That's a pretty impressive argument. Now, listen to me. I'm not making a pick right now. But that's pick. what I'm I mean, it sounds like you are. Yeah, it sounds like <laughs> I am, but I reserve the right to do it next week when I will be calling in probably Cabana side uh, with, I assume there'll be supermodels on one side, DJ Khaled on, on my right, um, Pitbull on my left. Sick uh, brag. No, I, I'll i be in a hotel room with uh, sunscreen indoors in Miami. Uh, but I love the Chiefs, too. You know, who doesn't love the Chiefs? I mean, how I can't remember a team. You got Tariq Hill. How do you cover him? You got Travis Kelsey. Kelsey. You got to double team him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to see more Shady McCoy. Your just boy. Some, some Philly. Some <laughs> Philly love there. And I'd love to see Andy Reid one one. And so it's going to be great. But we're going to break that down next week. You know, it's funny. Okay, you are not going to be there. Do you like hearing people brag that they're in Miami? Or would you rather just not go there? Uh, I don't like to hear it because I'm not there. Yeah. If I was there, then yeah. But I don't, I don't like you telling me this. Again. You seem like you love Miami. Too. I do. I'm a big Miami guy. Yeah. Found Blue. There's yeah, a big yeah, parties sure. there. You've been to live. Oh, I, I did a Super Bowl in Miami in 2009 or 10. And it was. Yeah. When Prince last performed, right? It was raining. No, 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 no. It was, I think it was one after that. There was another one after that? Yeah. I, I don't think I saw Prince. I think Tom Petty was performing. Was it a. I saw the game where Drew Brees, and I'm going to look this up, beat Peyton Manning. Was that in Miami? No. The the one that was in Miami oh. was the Bears versus the Colts, and it, it was pouring rain. Yeah, yeah. I was not at that one. Okay. It was the next one. There was another one. In Miami? Yes. Hmm. We should know this. We're going to get to the Eli debate in one second while I, I Google this. Uh, and let's riff. Let's riff. Yes, it was the... 
Saints and the Colts. The halftime show was The Who. This was, uh, let's see what the date was on this. Um, it was 2010 season. So it was, a, yeah, they, I mean, they used to go to Miami all the time. So it's not a surprising, uh, you know, sorry, 2009 season. And that was when Tracy Porter picked off Peyton Manning. Incredible game. And the Who, back when they used to have Dinosaur Rock at the uh, halftime shows. Yeah. Until they went pop. Um, yeah, that was awesome. So that was a great Super Bowl. I I went out a lot, hung out with uh, all the Miami were you married back then? Yeah, I was married. My wife okay. came down, which was great. Mm. I just remember being at a restaurant with Dan and my wife, and Dan's like, oh, you guys are no fun with your wives here. But it was uh, <laughs> actually my, but he said, except for you, uh, McLovin, your, your, your wife is way more fun than you. So, uh, <laughs> but it was a good time. We're looking forward to a lot of fun, and mm-hmm. we'll do a podcast next week. But right now, let's get to my old friend of mine, Gary Myers, to talk about Eli Manning and much more. <laughs> All right, Gary, I need some help. I'm getting killed on social media by Pro Football Focus for saying Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer. What is it about Eli Manning that you can't necessarily see in the numbers? I think that um, the first thing you really have to look at is how he played in, in big games. And I find it hard to believe that any quarterback had two better runs to a championship that Eli did in 07. And 11. When you think about this, the first time he beats the Bucks on the road, which was okay. I mean, the Bucks were an okay team, good enough to get a home field advantage in that game. And then um, he goes to Dallas and beats the one seed, goes to Green Bay and beats the two seed in just mm. unbelievably cold weather and outplays Favre and then goes to uh, the Super Bowl and, and beats a team that had it won that game in the New England Patriots would have been undefeated and considered the greatest single season team in NFL history. And Eli beat him with a last minute drive. And then just, you know, four years later, he goes to back to Lambeau and this time he beats Rogers then goes to San Francisco in the championship game and really got beat up. Unlike anything I've ever seen with a quarterback, especially in a playoff game. And he just kept getting up like a, a, a boxer had been knocked down in the 14th and 15th round when there was such a thing. And he just kept dragging himself out of the slop and candlestick. And they won in overtime. And then he went and beat New England again with a drive in the last two minutes. So he never missed a game because of injury. Played 16 years, never missed one game because of injury. And retires with two championships. So I don't care about all the numbers that he was a 500 quarterback in the regular season or didn't win a playoff game in any other year than his Super Bowl years. I look at it like he played 16 years, didn't miss a game because of injury and retires with two championships. And I would think is every quarterback in the league other than Tom Brady would be happy with a career like that. Oh, absolutely. When he arrived in 2004, did you have any idea he was tough? You know, you don't know until he starts taking some shots. You know, he's kind of a quiet, unassuming guy. The first game he played in Andrew, this was um, in Philadelphia. And I can't remember the name of the the Eagles defensive lineman who hit him, but it was one of the most ferocious shots Mm. that I've ever seen a guy take. It was right. It turned out it was the last play of the game. They just put him in right at the end of the game. And Archie, who was either sitting in the stands or just watching on television, 
in New Orleans told me like years later that he thought Eli was dead <laughs> after he got hit. And that's how hard a hit it was. And if we didn't know up until that point what a tough guy he was, we knew after he took that hit because it was it was brutal. Do you remember what you wrote when they sat down Kurt Warner, even though the team was pretty good, and put in Eli? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I felt it was time because the Giants were five and four, but they lost two in a row to Chicago and Arizona, teams they should have beaten. Kurt was holding on to the ball forever. Um, he w- he didn't want to um, throw the ball away. So he's taking a lot of sacks. He was fumbling. He was throwing a lot of interceptions. And even though the Giants were still in the playoff race at that point, I thought that Kurt played as well as he possibly could with a team that was limited. And it was I thought it was imperative that they get Eli playing time his first year because Kurt was only going to be a one-year guy unless the Giants had an incredible record. And so I thought it was important to get Eli on the field the second half of the season so, you know, to get all those ups and downs out of the way, like the 0.00 quarterback rating he had in Baltimore in about his fourth start. <laughs> and so that in the second year that he'd have a lot of experience already and uh, his crew would be ready to take off. So I- I'm pretty sure, I mean, I know I wrote, I endorsed making that switch. Okay. So that team had a lot of big personalities. As I recall, you know, I lived in New York at the time, went to a lot of the games. Tiki was there, Strahan. Was was it a problem and back in let's say two thousand five, six and seven that Eli wasn't more of a vocal leader or did that help the team in a way? Well the first thing that happened was when Kurt got benched, a lot of the veterans weren't happy because they knew at that point Kurt was probably better than Eli and they thought that Coffin was giving up on mm. on the season and it turned out they were right. Eli lost his first six games and then won the final game of the year uh, against Dallas. Um, as far as the leadership, I think having those strong personalities in the room, as he was trying to establish himself on the field, um, probably impeded his ability or his growth as a leader hmm. early on. I mean, Strahan was a really strong personality, and, and so was Tiki, and um, and some of the other guys that were around, you know, a couple of years later, they got Antonio Pierce, who was a very strong personality. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, th- I thought when, when Tiki retired and then went on NBC in the preseason in the summer of 07 and was critical of Eli's leadership, and Eli came back the next day and really fired back at Tiki and all his buddies on the team like Sean O'Hara and some of the other offensive linemen, were very supportive of Eli finally speaking up and defending himself. I thought that's where it all turned in terms of his leadership, because I think the guys were waiting for a moment where Eli would just assert himself because he was really highly criticized this first few years. Yeah. And I thought that was a key moment in his career. In 2007, uh, you know, the last game of the year against the Patriots, I think it was the last game was very close did you think they had a shot in the Super Bowl, the Giants? I actually picked them to win. Oh, you did. That year, I picked the Giants to win each week in the playoffs. And I became more confident of the pick with each game that they won. And um, I thought because they played them really tough 
in the final game of the regular season um, that year, they lost, I think it was 38-36, and they were actually ahead, I think, early in the fourth quarter. You know, Coughlin went all out in that game. And I thought that um, they would beat him. I, I definitely thought it would be a higher scoring game than 17-14. But I thought they really had a good chance to beat him if they can put pressure on Brady. And it, that turned out to be one of the most brilliant defensive game plans ever and executed to perfection where they just got so much pressure on him up the middle that it really um, it really limited Brady to, to what he was able to do in that game. So by the time the Giants got to the Super Bowl this year, that year, they had so much confidence after winning in Dallas and Green Bay and confidence because they played the Patriots tough in that final game. I really did think they were going to win that game. And, um, but, you know, David Tyree's helmet kind of back up <laughs> out my pick a little bit. You know? Did you pick them in the 11 game too? I did. Oh. And I have to admit, I only did that because um, I, I heard from so many Giant fans about the 07, you know, my streak of picking the games and how they felt like me picking the Giants had turned into a good luck charm. So I was writing for a New York audience. So I said, what the heck? <laughs> I'll just pick them every game again. And um, and they got on that. They won four in a row again, which was really amazing when you think about it. I mean, Andrew, it's so, he had such a bizarre career. I mean, can you imagine having these two amazing runs no. in the playoffs and then being 0-4 in the other four years he made the playoffs? Oh, I, mean, I know. I know. Unbelievable. It's very Eli. So I right around 2007, I was working at SI.com. And I started transition to work on the Dan Patrick show. And Dan went on Letterman, God bless him, and picked the Giants to beat the Patriots. And I was watching. I'm like, I thought it was such an outlandish pick uh, that I, I was like, well, maybe I shouldn't work with this guy. Because there's no way the Giants are beating the, <laughs> the undefeated Patriots. But uh, you guys, so both you and Dan were like, I mean, it was really a small minority who picked the Giants in that game. Yeah. I, do you, I don't remember anyone, really, except for you guys. But... Well, I mean, why would you pick the Giants? If, um, yeah. But I, I was just around him every day yeah. at that point. And I can just kind of feel it in the locker room. And yeah. I'm serious. Each time they won in the playoffs, um, you can just sense that they start to believe in themselves a little more. The Dallas game, I thought, was the one that, you know, the Cowboys, I think, were 13-3. and three, And that was the week before Romo went to Cabo with Jessica Simpson. Yep. And it was such a distraction in Dallas. And... You know, we had a lot of fun with that with the tabloids. And um, by the time that we got to the end of that week and being around the Giants all week, I was convinced they were going to beat the Cowboys. Um, I was really, I mean, again, I picked them to beat the, the Packers, but I was I was surprised at how ineffective Brett Favre was in that game. He was looked like the guy that never played in cold weather before, and Eli was just swinging it. Yeah, I remember and, um I, you were there, right? Obviously, it was yeah. it was at as cold as it looked on TV. I'll tell you what, I did a, a TV show for Channel Two here in New York um, every week during the season that year, and um, it was on at eleven thirty in the morning New York time, so ten thirty in the morning in Green Bay. So, uh, no, actually, it was ten o'clock in the morning in Green Bay, and so we had to get out on our spot. And we did this on the field in the morning. It was just, it was so brutal. So we had to be out there about 15 minutes before we started. And 
at the first commercial break, uh, I was doing this with Sam Ryan, who you may know. Sure. Um, you know, she, um, she, was, she must have had 20 layers on. <laughs> and I had enough, but nothing would help. So at every commercial break, we would run up the tunnel because there was a heater right outside the Packers locker room. <laughs> and we'd warm up for like two minutes, and then the, you know, whoever was producing for us on site would yell up the tunnel, you guys got to come back. <laughs> and I want to tell you, by the end of the show, I had trouble moving my mouth. Oh. People told me that I sounded drunk. <laughs> it, was, it was like my mouth was frozen. Uh, you're it was hard to move. <laughs> <laughs> you're a warrior, Gary. That is uh, <laughs> Oh, my God. At least you didn't have to play a football game. I guess Favre did, I, I didn't want to. Did it, really. Oh, I man. Eli did not wear a glove on his right hand. Coughlin did not have oh. like, a scarf or anything like that. I think his face is still red from that game. Were the linemen sleeveless, I imagine? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, was, I don't know how they did it, but it, that was the coldest I've ever been. And you know, we get some cold weather here in New York. Yeah. But that was just, that was off the charts. I mean, I think the wind chill was in the minus 20s for that game. Maybe, maybe even worse than that. Oh, I'm glad I wasn't there. Uh, all right, Gary, I appreciate it. Uh, I could hear you tell stories about I I want to get in the offseason. I want you to tell the Tom Landry, the last day of Tom Landry's career. It's one of my favorite stories, but I don't want to distract from the Eli debate because I have to beat down the pro football guys, uh, pro football focus guys. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But uh, definitely save that story because, uh, yeah, I love hearing you talk about football and I really appreciate it. And uh, trust me, I. If anybody asks, you know Eli Manning, and I, I don't know if there, I know there are other New York writers too, but I think, you, is there a sense that you had to be there to understand the whole story? I think so. Yeah. He was such a stand-up guy. Do you know on Mondays, he would only talk on Mondays after a loss because he didn't want others having an answer mm. for what happened the day before. After wins, he didn't talk on Mondays because he wanted the other players to get the credit. Wow. That kind of says it all about what kind of, teammate he was and how well respected he was in the locker room but like we said before it was a very unique uh career uh you know they can't take away the fact that he played great in those two postseasons and and retires with two two super bowl rings and two super bowl mvp trophies do you know uh it's five years out but do you know if you'll present him or i don't know if you're even allowed to talk about that but is that is that i can talk about usually i present the jets Oh, okay. And Bob Glauber from Newsday presents the Giants. But that doesn't prevent any of us from then, after the initial presentation is made, to say whatever we want anyhow. So the initial presentation often sets the tone, but anybody is allowed to speak up afterwards. Okay. All right. Well, that's, you know, we've been debating Eli for the Hall of Fame. It feels like we already did today, but we'll wait for five years. All right, Gary, I appreciate it, and I would love to talk again soon. Anytime you're in. All right, that was Gary Myers, formerly of New York Daily News, prolific author. Yeah, if you ever in a Giants locker room, Gary's right there with a tape recorder, either in Eli Manning's face or Tom Coughlin's face. He really covers the, you know, when he covers a team, he really covers it well. And his books are awesome. So good to hear from him. And now we're going to go on the opposite side. To my friend Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus, we've done a couple draft shows together, and he's wonderfully cynical. I tried to convince him that Nathan Peterman was actually good last year, and that didn't go anywhere. But uh, I know he has strong opinions on Eli Manning, so let's jump right in with Pro Football Focus's Sam Monson. 
All right, Sam, Gary Myers almost had me in tears telling Eli Manning stories about how he, you know, when the team lost, he would take all the questions on Monday morning and what a stand-up guy he was and how he supported his teammates. I have a feeling that is not going to sway you if uh, in the Hall of Fame Eli Manning discussion. Yeah, I mean, look, I think, I think we just need to look at what the actual discussion should be, right? To me, the Hall of Fame is the best player's that ever played the game. And I think part of the problem is there is no defined criteria. You know, we, we hear talk of this. Can you tell the story of the game without this player? Was this player the best position of it or the best player at his position throughout his career? There's no answer. There's no defined criteria Mm. whatsoever. So we're all just working from, you know, our own personal opinion of what it should be. To me, the hall of fame should be the best players, you know, the best select group of players that ever played the game. And I just don't think you can make a rational argument that Eli Manning belongs in that conversation. His career basically hinges on two phenomenal Super Bowl runs. Now, I, I don't want to minimize those. Those were incredible runs. That 2011 season, by far the best season of his career, but the 07 run to then knock off the undefeated Patriots, those were legitimately incredible Super Bowl runs they each had incredible Super Bowl moments from Eli Manning. So he wasn't just a passenger on those teams like some people want to claim. Those were legitimately incredible signature moments. But those are like, you know, there was two short runs in a 15-year in a career. And everything else outside of those is, what, average at best. Sure. Do you give a lot of leeway in, when you do Hall of Fame discussions? Do you consider quarterbacks differently than other positions, though, maybe be a little more lenient? Well, I think you can definitely. So the idea that, you know, a player never won a Super Bowl, therefore he doesn't belong in the, in the hall. I think that's ridiculous for most of sure. I think for quarterback, there's at least an argument to be made because those guys do control or they can influence games more than any other position on a regular basis. So the idea that a guy can elevate his play in the most critical times, go on a run of phenomenal play and essentially earn himself a Super Bowl ring that he wouldn't have otherwise, I think is definitely possible for quarterbacks in a way that it isn't for other positions. And, you know, Joe Flacco did that. Joe Flacco went on a run where he had a like a five-game outlier stretch of play that he's never been able to repeat in his career, and that won him a Super Bowl championship. And that fundamentally changed that guy's career. Eli Manning did it twice. Yeah. Um, but... You know the the baseline is not that similar. You know he just did it. He just did, had two of those runs instead of one. Yeah, but you know th- I think there's in New York. You know I'm in New York. There they point to non analytics like you know it was a sort of a chaotic team and he was a steadying influence and just like playing in New York. Do you, what do you say to people who say like the the intangibles that can't be quantified belong in a legacy discussion? I think. I don't disagree with that necessarily, but I think in Eli Manning's case, a lot of them are being used instead of things that are, you know, legitimate arguments for a guy's credentials. You know, if you're having to pull out all of these things, the guy's case probably isn't that strong in the first place. You know, it's like when it's like when you start hearing about draft prospects, you know, depending on some of the things that get pulled out as positives for a guy, like if you have to work that hard to make a guy sound good, he probably isn't that good in the first place. And that's kind of how I feel about Eli Manning. Like, if you have to tell me 
that he won the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, which is the NFL's <laughs> most prestigious award. Like, that's a problem, you know? It should be easier to make the guy's Hall of Fame case than that. That's like uh, setting someone up on a date and saying she has a good personality. That's the Walter Payton Award, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's interesting. When you miss on a, uh, when you do a PFF grade on a draft prospect, um, let's say hypothetically Raheem Mostert, and you missed on him, is it sometimes those intangibles, the reasons why, like he's a hard worker? Like, have you ever looked back at that and say, what is there? Is there any kind of like general rule when you might miss on a guy numbers wise coming into, out of the draft? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously you know we we watch and grade every single player and every single play, so we can tell you about their on field production. But that's only a fraction of draft evaluations. You know, there's a reason that NFL teams meet with these guys um, all the time. They bring them in for visits. They meet them at the combine. They meet them at the senior bowl. You get to learn a lot. Also, you know, they send scouts around the country talking to their position coaches and on all those kinds of things. It's because you learn all kinds of stuff about a guy that's extremely relevant to what kind of NFL player he's going to be um, beyond just how he performs on the field. And we don't really get access to any of that stuff. So, but Sam, you know, is our it, draft stuff? Yeah, but isn't that your job? Is to tell the? Are you one who says that the the answers are in the grades? You know, all that other stuff shows up on the tape and shows up, you know, in the numbers. So, like, shouldn't all that uh, intangible stuff show up in your grade? And because you saw it on the field. Well, a lot of it does, right? Okay. But we're not going to be able to predict the fact that a guy has a weed problem that we don't know about, and suddenly he gets three suspensions and he's out of the NFL. You know, <laughs> We can tell you that in college, it wasn't a big enough problem because he was on the field. He didn't get suspended. When he was on the field, he was great. But if you know, there's no way of seeing that coming without knowing that this is a thing that he's dealing with, and, and we're never going to get that kind of information, or at least not going to anytime soon. Speaking of Raheem Mostert and the 49ers running attack, I felt like it was, it's was it been a big playoffs for the um, sort of mixed playoffs for the don't draft a running back crowd because Derrick Henry was such a weapon for the Titans, but you see these late round guys on other teams. I still, I mean, I look at Christian McCaffrey, who was an MVP candidate, and Saquon Barkley. You know, these teams are not winning. Do you feel, I, I know where you stand on this issue, but has anything swayed your opinion on how valuable running backs are in the NFL come draft time? Um, no, I mean, I think what we've seen at the 49ers, if you looked at just where those guys were drafted, you would say they've done things a hundred percent the right way because they're mm. all undrafted. Um, there are these undrafted players that have become superstars in their system. Now where that logic falls down a little bit is that they acquired some of these guys through free agency and, you know, actually paid significant money to get them. So they haven't quite done it the way you would, you would say that they should. Um, but I think I, this is just reemphasize the idea that, Running backs, it's not that they're worthless. It's not that they don't add value on top of things, but it's that they are a product of their environment. I think mm. Harry Henry is a great example of that because Henry was toiling away when they were two and four and looking terrible on offense because Marcus Mariota was the quarterback. Tannehill comes in, plays out of his mind for the rest of the season at a completely different level to any quarterback they've seen in Tennessee, and suddenly Derrick Henry looks like a superstar. Um, at the same time, the offensive line got an awful lot better and was blocking significantly better than it was earlier in the season. So again, Derrick Henry looks fantastic. Now, he did a lot of work on his own, but there's a ton of plays in there where he's only got a chance to get those yards after contact or break that tackle because the blocking up front was so good, it gave him the kind of mm. head of steam room that he wouldn't have had otherwise. 
So, you know, it's not that Derrick Henry didn't do anything or that he wasn't good. It's that he was set up to succeed by other things. And if those things weren't there, Hmm. he wouldn't have had the same level of production. Absolutely. Have you gotten to do any work on free agency quarterbacks yet? I know it's, it's an obvious, but you mentioned Ryan Tannehill. Is he generally well thought of over at Pro Football Focus, what he did with the Titans, that is? Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of free agency at this point is trying to identify who's actually going to hit the market, right. and which ones are going to be franchise tagged or just generally kept from the open market. I The franchise tag seems like a no-brainer for me for Ryan Tannehill because he was so good this year, but it was such a departure from his previous baseline. Now you can say, look, the situation was better. He wasn't dealing with the, the disaster in Miami. Um, he was healthy for the first time in a while. But I, I think you couldn't um, risk paying Ryan Tannehill like a monster long-term contract based off what he did this year. I think it would just be too risky. The franchise tag keeps him around for a year, makes him prove it again, and then you can talk next year. Uh, can I ask two grades on guys? How did Tom Brady and Phil Rivers do this year, according to you guys? Yeah, I mean, they both had down years. Brady right. in particular is, I think he ended up slipping outside of our top 10 overall for quarterbacks or certainly was heading in that direction by the end of the season. Um, and Philip Rivers as well, is, it was in that kind of, was even further down. I think he was closer to 15 to 20 range somewhere. Both those guys definitely had a big dip this year. And Brady's in particular, it's, it's not that he became a bad player. It's that I think what we saw is is Brady now needs help in a way he didn't in the past. You know, he was able to elevate the play of everybody around him, but now the guy is in his 40s, deep into his 40s, and he needs receivers. He needs guys that can get open. He needs some pass protection. And for the first time in a long time, he doesn't have those. There's no Gronk. Um, There's no superstar that he can rely on being open every single play. And now we're starting to see him struggle a little bit because of it. Oh, absolutely. Have you made a Super Bowl pick yet publicly? I'm, if you haven't, I don't want to hear anything, but uh, are you guys going to do that next week? Uh, are you and Steve going to break down the, I don't know if you even do the line on your show, um, but uh, yeah, I definitely think there's going to be a lot of people tuning into your podcast to get some uh, some analytic work before they make their uh, legal bet. Yeah, we'll do our full breakdown next week. I haven't actually, I, I honestly don't even know who I'm going to pick yet. I think this is such a great Super Bowl matchup. I'm really happy that these are the two teams that made it because I think I think they match up against each other pretty spectacularly, and I'm just looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. It, what's going on in the Pro Football Focus office right now? Are people breaking down draft tape? Yeah, so we got a couple of guys down in Mobile right now for the Senior Bowl stuff. Um, we're actually grading the Senior Bowl week of practices. We've been doing that for a few years, yeah. and that always throws up some really interesting stuff, seeing which guys dominate all week in a, in a sort of all-star game setting. And then, yeah, it's full steam ahead for the draft and free agency. A couple guys with eyes on the ground there tell me Justin Herbert is by far the best quarterback. But I feel like he's a guy that pro football focus will look at kind of cynically because I watched Oregon, all he did was throw bubble screens and he seemed inaccurate. Do you, any early takes on Justin Herbert? Yeah, I mean, I think he's a guy who it's going to be important which numbers you're paying attention to, you know, because there's a lot of things that are good about his game, and there's a lot of ways you could slice the numbers that make him look very good. But the stuff that was bad 
was concerning. Uh, yeah. And it's a case of trying to identify how, you know, which are the predictive numbers, which things to hang your hat on, and which can he improve at the next level. He's, yeah, he's going to be a very polarizing prospect, I think. Yeah, it should be fun. Uh, well, Sam, I love listening to your podcast. I, I love when you and Steve talk about like the coffee maker and stuff. That's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've told, I think I told Steve that there was one ridiculous conversation you guys had about, I don't know about it, how he couldn't make it work. Uh, so keep it up, and yeah, I can't wait to hear your your draft coverage. Maybe see you down in South Beach. I assume you and I will be lying next to each other near on the beach. You're going to get savagely tan, right? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I get tan. I think I go straight from you know pasty Irish white to burned as a crisp. Yeah, I'm right with you. I uh, I I'm going to wear sunscreen indoors next week. Uh, <laughs> Appreciate your time. You convinced me at least to be more skeptical of Eli. Uh, I don't have a vote. You don't have a vote either, so I guess it really doesn't matter. No, Chris does, though, right? I think we can influence him. Can you influence Chris? Like, seriously. I don't know. We'll give it a swing. Let's see what happens. I can't influence. He Chris. He's got one of the, he's got a he's got an all pro vote, right? I, I don't know if he has a Hall of Fame vote. No, I don't. Th- I mean, does he sit in that room with Peter King and all those guys for eight? I can't yeah, see I Chris doing that. I don't yeah, think there are any right. former players in that room. Yeah, and maybe that maybe you're right. He definitely has an All Pro one, but yeah, you're right. I don't think he actually has the Hall of Fame one. Yeah, I can't I can't picture him sitting there. Bob Glauber is going to be um, introducing Eli. Chris would. He seems too impatient for me. But anyway. Well, yeah, he doesn't have time for that. No, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, hopefully I will see you in Miami, and I really appreciate the time, Sam. Cool. Thanks. Take it easy. All right, Mario. There you have it. You heard a pro-Eli argument and an anti-Eli argument. I'm going to give you initial reaction right now. Is Eli Manning a first ballot Hall of Famer? Yes. Yeah, I'm with you too. I think if you're in New York... That's yeah, I, I think that's a guy. We're, I mean, we're in the tri-state area, right? Yeah. I mean, he he took down arguably the best dynasty in sports history, not once but twice. Yeah, I mean, and then and he's top ten. I mean, I know you're not into the number. He's top yeah. ten in passing. I actually amended that number. I'm like, I I know it's like, like people are ignoring like everyone else around him on that passing list of Hall of Famer. Yeah. By the way, people people think Philip Rivers is not a Hall of Famer. No way. In five years, where six years, whenever he retires. They're totally going to put him in the Hall of Fame. They put Kurt Warner in the Hall of Fame. Really? They like oh, yeah, Kurt Warner, Warner has a couple Super Bowls. I'm looking it up. How many times do you think Philip Rivers was a Pro Bowler? Um, I'm going to go seven times. I think it's even more actually, but uh, I think mm, let's see. If he's a seven-time Pro Bowl quarterback, eight-time Pro Bowl quarterback, close. You know he's going to end up six in all time in passing mm-hmm. at least. Come on, quarterbacks get the nod. He doesn't do it for me. Eli does it because he has the the accolades to go with it. Uh, you know, accolades being the two championships. Okay, one other guy from that class, Ben Roethlisberger, no brainer, right? Yeah, he gets in for sure. He isn't. I mean, he's another one that has two championships, right? Yeah, I I think some of the things that people rip Eli for being Peyton's little brother and playing in New York were actually his greatest strengths. Like he he was Peyton's little brother and he dealt with it and yep. was cool. You know, he's goofy as all get out, like throws, you know, I always say he throws a really catchable ball because any Giants receiver who's there stinks when they leave yeah. the Giants. I mean, Odell's Akeem, numbers went down. Akeem, Akeem Nix went down. Mario Manningham, he signed a contract with the Niners, went way down. Yep. Uh is a different thing because he shot himself in the leg. <laughs> uh, Steve Smith, I, I don't even know if he left the USC Steve Smith, not the other Steve not Smith. Carolina. You go down the list. But the problem is cornerbacks also were able to catch Eli's ball. He put a lot of air on it, <laughs> yeah. so he had some massive interception years. But you have to understand, like they were asking him to stay in there and keep making plays 
in a bad situation in some of those years. And Eli just, just said it. The end was ugly. I'm glad he retired and didn't have to sit on the bench because the Willie or won't he play the last three years in New York was painful. So now they go to Eli Manning too and Daniel Jones Daniel with Jones. the Giants. I have no idea how good he is. And anyone who says they do is lying. He's fast. He's a good runner. There's no doubt about that. But man, I was so excited when he torched the Bucks the early in the last season. So we'll see. You a yeah. Daniel Jones guy? No. What's your team again? Jets, right? The Jets, yeah. Daniel Jones doesn't do anything for me. So if I gave you Sam Darnold or Daniel Jones, it's no doubt Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold. Have you seen, there was a picture of him uh, floating around the internet recently. He was wearing like all black and sunglasses. Yeah. Player. I didn't see it. Dude, he is, Sam, he comes off as a nice guy. I think he's a bit of a player. I mean. He got mono. He did get mono. <laughs> you know you're not getting mono from uh, yeah. a water fountain. Is he unhinged <laughs> with you? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't see guys. That'd be tough to compete girls. with Sam Darnold. Yeah, it would. He's a little bit younger than me, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I had a, I had have a chance uh, against, you know, with a girl. If Sam <laughs> Darnold swiping. Daniel Jones, you would. I, I don't know. He's like, yeah. He's, he's a smart good. guy. He kind of like has that Ivy League. He's really smart. He's If Daniel who, Jones wasn't the quarterback of the Giants, you think... Yeah, maybe. But he's actually, he'd probably be really, he looks like he'd be rich. He looks like he'd be a financial yeah. guy. He's like a financial advisor. Yeah, and you're stuck here at Dan Patrick's show where, trust me, you ain't getting rich here. You don't think so? And if it gets a great <laughs> podcast, you know, if everyone listening subscribes now and sends us $5, you still ain't getting rich. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> All right, uh, thanks for your time. Again, if you haven't subscribed, please do, and we'll hit you next week. For Miami, this is Against the Grain. I'm Andrew Perloff. Thanks for listening.